Let's read some verses and then we'll pray and get into God's word. Any questions? No? Good. Here we go. Let me just set the tone before I read. Paul's been writing to the church of Philippi. He loves them. He's so fired. He's in jail. He's in jail and he's received a message from Epaphroditus from Philippi. Epaphroditus showed up and he'd been walking 800 miles. He almost died on the way there. You remember the story? Epaphroditus got super sick, almost died, didn't die, got there, gave Paul the offering that the church at Philippi had given to him. And then Paul said, well, how's the church doing? He said, they're doing great. Are you kidding me? Man, they're just, they're growing. They're learning. They're listening. They're praying. They're serving. And Paul said, are you serious? And Paul was in jail and was such a healing balm to him, knowing that the church that he had planted by his own blood 11 years earlier was doing great. And so Paul then took out his free hand because one of his hands was chained to a Roman guard and he wrote the book of Philippians. And he wrote them encouraging them and instructing them. And in chapter four, he thanks them now for the gift that they'd given and he gives them some encouragement in today's sermon, in today's kind of study, we're gonna see that he wants them to be in perfect peace. He wants them to have total joy. He wants them to be walking in strength. And you know why? Because he was. And he was chained up, not getting out. Maligned and falsely tried. Accused wrongly. Don't raise your hand too high, but have you ever been accused wrongly? Oh, oh man, oh, you know. It's not fun. Paul had done those things. And instead of defending himself, instead of calling Johnny Cochran, instead of calling the lawyer and his defense team, and instead of putting a post on Facebook, he's like, you know what? I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice. I rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And his focus and his mindset, there where his mind was set, changed everything about the way that he endured his situation and circumstances, and he suffered well, even to the end. And he became then a guidepost and a shining light in the darkness for those around him. Here's my challenge to you. You might have been falsely accused at this point in your life. You might have gone through a challenging time. You might be living in difficult days. There might be some confusion around you. There might be some stuff that you didn't choose but you have to now walk through. There might be a government above you that is leading the country in a way that you disagree with. There might be things that you're having to work through that you didn't do and you would have done differently if it was up to you but that's not your choice. And your choice though is are you gonna be a man or woman of God? Are you gonna be a man or a woman of peace, of power, and of strength and joy? See, some people are like thermometers. No matter what's going on around them, they rise and fall based on the pressures and the environment around them. Things are good, oh, we're looking good. Things are bad, oh, we're so bad. And they're thermometers, they have no power over what's going on around them. Other people like Paul aren't thermometers at all. They're thermostats. They dictate the temperature. They dictate what's going on and what's not going on. They change the environment. It gets hot outside, well, they bring the cool refreshing of God's presence. It gets cold in your heart, well, they bring the heat of God's love and God's power. You have a choice, mom and dad especially, men and women especially, young and old especially, single married especially. Did I miss anybody? Everybody. You have a choice. I'm gonna be a thermostat or a thermometer. This is a choice, by the way, and I want to be a good thermostat where I don't let the things around me determine my joy, my strength, or my peace, but instead with my mind set on things above. 
not on things below. And so Paul's gonna give us, I believe, three things we're gonna look at at the beginning and then some other things to unpack for our life, but let's just read a few verses. This is what we studied last week. I'm gonna read it again because it's so good. In verse eight, Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That word meditate again means to make them your own. Let this be what defines you. By the way, if you don't let these things define you, something else will. You are meditating on something. Could be the latest TikTok dance, it could be the latest fad, it could be the latest scandal, it could be the latest conspiracy. You're medi- something is ticking your, co- your mind and your bandwidth. Paul says, you wanna have peace and joy? Look at verse nine. He says, in the things, we're gonna start here, which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He obviously hadn't been to the state of California. Just kidding. I know, verse 12, how to be abased. That means broke is a joke. And I know how to abound. That means to have paychecks coming in. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer in need. One of the most famous verses we quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he says, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Father, in Jesus' name, as we study your word now, may it not, Lord, return void, but may it, Lord, do what you sent it out to accomplish to do. May it water, Lord, the gardens of our heart in Jesus' name. May it quench, Lord, the thirsty soul in Jesus' name. May it calm, Lord, that heat. Maybe there's a fire going on and something. We just need to douse those flames of the enemy with the water of the word of God. The Bible says that through your word, Lord, through that water, we can be cleansed and renewed and transformed. And so in Jesus' name, have your way. I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I stand upon it, Lord, and we look to it now. Would you anoint it and bless it? You also said you, Lord, are there when we gather, two or more. Lord, you're in our midst. So I pray that I, as I preach, Lord, I would see you in our midst. I'd be humbled that you're with us. I would preach to your honor and your glory. And I pray, Lord, as we're sitting here with one another, maybe you're at home watching online and tuning in in that way, that Jesus, you'd be in our midst. I thank you, Lord. It's, it's, it's crazy. I thank you, Lord, that you're, you're with us no matter what, whether we sense it or not. You really are. You're just a good God. So have your mercy upon us. Now we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I already mentioned, Paul is writing this letter by way of encouragement. He wants the church to know that he loves them, that God loves them, and that he's proud of them. He uses the word joy 19 times in 104 verses, and Paul all the time while writing to this church is not asking for help, is not complaining, he's not moaning, but instead he's saying God is good and he's gonna continue to be good. And I'll tell you what, because of that fact, in a time when we're compl- everything's complicated, everything's complex right now, Paul must know something that we don't know. Paul must have something that we must have, which is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I wanna just kind of summarize three things. If you're a note taker, there's notes in the back of the chair in front of you. Grab one of those notepads out because you're going to forget what I said. I wrote it down. I forget. I even wrote it down until I read it again. Like, That's good stuff right there. I should preach that. And so here is the threefold path to peace, okay? Number one, he addresses in verses one through seven what I'm going to call right praying. 
He said that, remember, he said, be anxious for nothing in verse six. I'm gonna read it to you. I didn't read it today, so I'll read it again right now. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with your thanksgiving and your request, let them be made known to God. Stop right there, eyes up here. If you wanna have a pathway to peace, it's gonna begin with right praying. Now, we know we're supposed to be a praying people. We're supposed to pray about everything, to take all of our requests to the Lord, to pray. Jesus' disciples only ever asked for help in praying. If you were to examine your Christian disciplines, most people, when polled, would say, hey, how's your prayer life? Does it need some help? Yes, it needs some help. I don't, I don't pray enough. I don't know how to pray. I forgot to pray. Can I just encourage you? Paul says, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. And if you want peace, it's gonna come through the path of prayer. Let me say it differently. If you don't have peace... It's because you're not praying. I just promise you that. You who are believers have experienced this. Anxiety, anguish, fear, turmoil. Somebody says, let's pray. You say, let's pray. You seek the Lord in prayer. Oh, now I have the peace that passes. Understanding. What does that mean? It means I shouldn't actually have peace right now because my circumstance may not have instantaneously changed. But I have. I have Some of you guys don't pray right now because when you prayed, nothing external changed. Lord, I pray for my enemies. I pray that they'd be arrested in Jesus' name. You know, and you look up and your spouse is still there or whatever, you know, and it's not funny, it's not funny. You pray for something to change and it doesn't change and so you, God didn't answer my prayers. Listen, prayer always changes something. Sometimes it changes your circumstances. It does, I've seen it happen, so have you. But every time you pray to Jesus, it changes you. It changes your heart. It changes your resolve. It changes your ability to accept what you cannot change and to endure in that season. Can I just encourage you? You have to pray. Let me just challenge you this way, though. And maybe this is just something that maybe on my soapbox for just a minute. When you pray, don't just pray by yourself. Pray with other people. How many of you guys think it's easier to pray by yourself than to pray with other people? It's easier to pray by yourself. I've counseled with people before, and I said, did you pray about that? Oh, man, I prayed about it, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to call you a liar, but I do not see peace in your life right now. Like, who'd you pray with? Nobody, yeah. And what, and what happens is, is you can pray about it or think you're praying about it, but just thinking about stuff and mulling over it and getting weird, that's not praying about it. And I have found personally in my life, if I want to have that pathway to peace, I need to ask my wife, ask my kids, ask my accountability partners, ask my staff, ask anybody, hey, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? And when you pursue people and seek them out and not just hold it yourself, okay, it's next level where two or more are gathered, he's in their midst. And when you have somebody pray, you've humbled yourself and the Lord, the Lord, he goes to your aid. He fights your battles. I'm going to tell you what, look for this this week. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to know you need to pray. Here's what's going to happen next. You're not going to want to humble yourself. You watch. You're not going to want to ask somebody to pray for you. You're just going to grit it out. I'll find the peace one way or the other, you know. Next thing you know, you're asking that officer to pray for you. Would you pray for me now? Ah, you know. When you pray with others and ask others to pray for you, a certain level of accountability, listen, wisdom and obedience opens up an entirely different pathway of God's peace. I love praying with other people because God not only honors it, it's his rules, but he also speaks to you through others. You ever had somebody pray for you and just, it was like a prophetic prayer? Like a powerful prayer? Like, how did you, why did you know? I don't know. It's God. God intervening on your behalf. And we're so prideful, we're so stubborn and rebellious. 
oftentimes we just sit in that stuff. I'll tell one quick story. It was, it was Friday, and I was leaving Fred Myers, and I was putting my groceries away, and, and somebody saw me, and they worked at Fred Myers, and they, they said, hi, Pastor Luke, and they actually came out and got my cart for me. They said, hey, I'll take your cart back to the car for me. I said, thank you so much, and as they were walking away, this cart person, I'll just leave it at that, this cart person, was what they stopped, and they said, hey, you know, Pastor Luke, could you pray for me? And right there at Fred Myers, in the, you know, in the crosswalk, and would you pray for me? And they went on to kind of open up what's going on in their lives, and I said, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we're going to do it right now. And I'm not I don't know what's going on necessarily, but I do know this, the peace of God that passes understanding descended upon the Fred Meyer parking lot. And it was so fun to pray. And I was so impressed and encouraged by it. It was a young person, a high schooler, young person that works there. I said, hey, thank you for being so bold and so courageous to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. If you want to have this pathway to peace, by the way, let me just read this to you again. Verse nine, he says, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, here's the big idea, and the God of peace will be with you. Yesterday I was with my wife Crystal and it was the afternoon and processing through certain things and the kids were inside and we just talked about all the stuff on our radar, the things going on and then we just prayed and it was like such a difference. Thank you, Lord. I just felt the, the confidence of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord. Again, your challenge this week, you're not gonna wanna do it. You're not gonna wanna humble yourself to your spouse. You're not gonna wanna humble yourself to your kids or to somebody else. You're not going to want to see me at Fred Myers and say, Pastor Luke, pray for me. If you do, I will, though. And we can pray there. I'll meet you at the bananas later today. <laughs> not only right praying, okay, work on this, but right thinking. We learned about this last week. If you want to have that threefold pathway to peace, you have to have right praying, but also right thinking. We saw this in verse 8. I just read it to you. He lists eight things. In verse 8, he says, if you want to have peace, meditate on these things. That word meditate means to grab and make it your own things that are true and noble and praiseworthy and a virtue and right and just and and pure, these things. This is a principle that will not change. Garbage in, garbage out. That's just the way it is. Glory in, glory out. What you meditate on, what goes into your eyes, what goes into your ears, what even goes into your mouth, okay, will be evidenced and seen and produce some sort of return, period. Can I get an amen from somebody? Period, it just does. And so what he says, if you want to be a person of peace, if you just want to be a person of peace, meditate on these things. If you don't want to be a person of peace, you want to be all anxious, you want to be depressed, you want to be distracted, you want to be detoured, you want to be all these things that we don't want to be, well, just do it your way then. Watch whatever the world's watching. Enjoy whatever the world's enjoying. It's your choice. You can do whatever you want to do, but you cannot control the consequences of your actions, amen? You ever watched a scary movie before and had nightmares? Raise your hand. Now, you don't have to watch a scary movie and you can still have nightmares. I understand that too. But oftentimes, if you're like at night watching scary stuff or whatever you're doing, and then you have a horrible night's sleep or wake up all messed up, like, what do you think's going to happen? And I'm not trying to be a jerk or a weirdo or some legalist up here, but Paul says, hey, if you want peace, it's your choice. Then you're going to have to come to a place in your Christianity, in your maturity, where you realize, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's not even worth it. And we compromise and we justify so many things, whether it's what we listen to, what we see, what we say, and we find ourselves with our bellies just hurting, lack of peace, anxiety, and all these silly things. Listen, right thinking will lead you to peace. What you focus on will be where you go. We've learned that for a couple weeks. Outlook determines your outcome, and attitude determines your altitude. What you put into your body and your ears and minds, it will come back in one way, shape, or another. Hey, check this out, though. We're going to look at some new kind of principles, not only right praying and right thinking, 
But let's go ahead and put these two into the final right, which is in verse nine. We're gonna call this right doing. Paul says, these things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. I've got these do underlined in blue. It's highlighted in yellow and it's circled in red. Why so many times, Pastor Luke? Because I struggle, you know what I'm saying? These do. Do what you know to do. Obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus except to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Well, I just trust him. I don't obey. Really? What's that going for you? And we would say that a lot of us. I trust the Lord fully, but I'm over here doing weird stuff. And he says, the things you learned, the things you heard, the things you saw, the things you received, these fourfold measures... Because Paul was the full package. Paul, ta- Paul, Paul. Paul taught good things. He gave them good things, but he also modeled and taught good things. He was one of those perfect pastors, perfect parents. Some pastors, some parents, some leaders, some authority figures say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. And we know that that will ultimately, in that hypocritical stance, will lead to a separation. Paul says, you saw it in me, didn't you? Don't you want to be this? Don't you want to grow to that as a mom or dad? as an influencer, as somebody who other people are looking to. Don't you want this, to not be hypocritical? That word hypocrite hypocrite, literally is a Greek term where they would put a mask on and pretend to be somebody else. We understand that. And we put so much effort and energy into making people think we're something we're not, don't we? Wouldn't it be awesome if we put the same energy and effort into tricking people into thinking that we're something, if we put the same energy and effort into actually being that person, where it actually was that important to you, to be loving, to be humble, to be kind, to be a prayer person, to be one who meditates on these things, then you wouldn't need a mask. You wouldn't need to be a hypocrite in that way. And here's the idea. You gotta learn stuff. We're learning the scriptures right now. Uh, We're a Bible teaching church. We don't go through the Bible as fast as we maybe should or could. Uh, I've been teaching the Bible now here for 12 years. August will be 12 year anniversary of South Beach Church uh, in its birth. And we've gone through like 14 chapters of 66. So it'll only take until 2076 to get through the rest of the Bible. So... Sorry about that. But the Bible is how we learn. Okay, but listen, learning is not enough. Your learning must translate to living. Let me say it differently. The information you receive in God's word must translate to transformation. There are a group of people. They're called legalists, Pharisees, Sadducees, religious people. They actually know the Bible, but it hasn't changed their lives. They know what the scriptures say, but they don't know the God who wrote the scriptures. When you're studying God's word, it's in order that God's word would change you. See, we, we came from this crazy generation where people memorize scriptures and they go to quizzing challenges and memorize as much as you can. And it, The Bible is not here so you can memorize it and pass a test, amen? The Bible is here so it can change your life. James actually warns us and says, don't just hear the Bible. Are you kidding me? You know what the Bible says? You gotta do what the Bible says. And so what Paul's saying, you want the pathway to peace? So I'll ask that question right now. How's your peace? It's going to be directly connected to your praying, to your meditating, right thinking, right praying, and your right doing. Every time I'm out of peace, every time I'm challenged in that way, every time I'm full of anxiety, I can just look at these three and say, how you been doing, Luke? And I'm, oh man, I'm way off. I'm way off. And then I run to the grace of Jesus Christ, to the spot where the blessings come out, to the restorative grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's talk about this idea of obedience. Because we're such a grace church, at least at South Beach, and we're a grace generation, and, and we've just gone so many liberties, and we've extended ourselves and said, well, that was old, and that's the Bible. 
Paul says specifically, I've got it underlined three different ways, these do. He doesn't want us to miss it. Because if you don't do the things that God's asked us to do, you'll slowly fall apart, right? If you don't obey what God says, because God's principles aren't optional, they're timely and timeless. They don't change for any generation or for any leadership or for any time or for anybody. God's word is true all the time, amen? And so if you don't do it, you're gonna reap the consequences of doing it your way. We've all done this before, where you don't obey and you begin to see the consequences creep up in your life. That if you don't put the work in that God's asked us to do, you will see. We can call this maintenance to a degree. When God's word says to do something, if you don't do it, you're gonna reap the consequences in a different way. This happens in our life because everything, I'll give you a law here, it's the second law of thermodynamics, and there's a couple different sophisticated ways to explain it. I'm not gonna do that because it's not necessary. But the second law of thermodynamics essentially says that everything is going from some form of order, okay, that's where it's at, and it got there by purpose, but it's going from order to disorder. Unless a greater force comes into that space and continues to cause that order to increase, it will naturally decrease. When you get a brand new car, it's only brand new for like 10 seconds. You roll off the lot there, it depreciates by $10,000. Like, what happened, you know? You get a brand new house, that brand new house ain't brand new for more than a couple of years. You have kids in there, it begins to fall apart immediately. And the things of this world, they need maintenance. They need continued effort put into them. It's just the way it is. It's no different with your spiritual journey. You get saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. You start to read the Bible. You start to repent of sins. You start to walk in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You start to serve. You start to be sacrificial in those ways. Good, don't stop there. Keep going. And by the way, this is a challenge as you get older to keep going in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said in his final epistle. But now grow in the grace and knowledge. Grace and knowledge, grace and knowledge. They're two separate bookends. The grace of God. Oh, don't you just love the grace of God? And the knowledge of God. That's a continuation, a maturation. Because if you don't do these things, you're gonna find two ways that disobedience and making mistakes and not growing in the grace of God is gonna creep up in your life. Number one is kind of the unintentional ways where you're just kind of messing things up in your life. You don't mean to, but you're not taking it completely serious and now everything in your life is kind of backwards and it's not working the way it intended to work. Have you guys ever assembled Ikea furniture before? It's one of the best ways to learn sanctification and patience. Buy some Ikea furniture and assemble it. Man, I, just, I love Ikea furniture, actually. There's a rack over here on my left, and there's an identical rack on my right over here. And we actually assembled them right there. I remember because we were assembling all kinds of furniture. And it was like the last two pieces, and it was Pastor Bo and I. And we kind of looked at each other, and we'd put all these things together, and we said, hey, you want to race? And so we decided to race and see who would put it together first. And we were just going watching each other. And I'm not sure who won. I do remember putting my tools down first, but I'm not sure who won. It's tough to say. It was like a photo finish. And, but have you ever been putting together Ikea furniture or something like that and you get to step 14 and you're starting to put the door on and you realize that step six was done backwards? Have you had this happen before? And you're like, How did she, who did step six? You know, and you watch the video footage and it's you, you did it. and You just did it wrong. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever done it wrong. Just like, oh, I just, did, I just did it wrong. I didn't do it the right way. And then you have to undo step 13, 12, all the way to six, and you're, man, you know what I'm saying? I've done that many times. Blame it on ADD or whatever, you know. And 
distractions. Listen, in your life, if you don't do what God asks you to do, it's not because you're a bad person necessarily in that moment, but you just weren't paying attention, weren't taking it seriously, you weren't double checking, you weren't walking in accountability, and now your life's incongruent. Things just don't work right. Sometimes you look at you like, I just know what's going on. It's like I'm going against the Lord and somebody might say, well, did you follow the steps? Well, not all of them. I wasn't trying to be rebellious and sinful though. I was just making mistakes. God's word is true. His plans are going to lead you and guide you step by step. And so when he warns us in this way, he says, if you don't want your life all wonky and out of shape and backwards, just follow the steps. It's not that hard. Read it. You don't understand? Ask for help. Ask somebody to pray for you. Okay, number one, if you're not going to do the things that God wants you to, you're simply going to be missing things and messing things up. You're going to have to go backwards a few times. Now, the second way of not obeying the Lord is pure disobedience. And this will cause us to suffer in different ways. And I just need to speak to that group of folks in here who are like, you know what, I I know the step I'm supposed to take, but I don't really care. I'm just going to do it. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna rebel against the ways of the Lord. And the Bible says specifically, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. How many of you have proved this to be true? As a matter of fact, every time I try and disprove this and it comes back true again, there's that pain and difficulty and the rebellion and sin that I've chosen to walk in. But one of the best takeaways is, is I always look up at the Lord. I said, Lord, there you are again. Just like you said. You said this would happen. You said if they did this, this would happen. You said if I did this, this would happen. You're not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. And I rejoice. Listen, even in that moment, even in that pain, even in that discipline, I rejoice in the sovereignty of our God that he does not change. And you who are maturing in your Christianity and wondering, well, I'm not sure. I don't know. We'll give it a try. The world says it's okay to do this. My lawyer advised me to do that. And I think it's going to be good over here. No, no. No, no. You'll reap what you sow. And God's grace is sufficient for our needs. When we sin, the Bible says in the book of Romans that where sin abounded, grace abounded more. The Bible says that God's grace poured out towards us, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. God, you can't out the Lord, okay? But your sins will have consequences. And when he says these things do, none of us in here are dumb. We, we know this. But we need others to encourage us because we have great intentions. Don't we have great intentions? I have great intentions. How many of you guys right now have a treadmill at your house that is acting as a coat rack? You didn't buy it as a coat rack. You know, you bought it as a treadmill. This treadmill's gonna make me super strong, you know. And now it's got dust on it. It's in the way. You've tried to give it away to your friends. Nobody wants it. I love it when people try and sell their treadmills. Like, 300 bucks. Like, dude, I'll give you 10 cents to keep it, you know. (laughs) Nobody wants your treadmill. I have a treadmill at my house, too. If if anybody wants it, it's free. Sitting there. And we have gym memberships and we have all these ideas. You guys are, there's people here who are members of the gym. You don't even know where the gym's at anymore. You're like, I think, it, I think, I don't know where it's at. I don't know what gym I'm a member of. And we have good intentions. I get it. But Paul here, I'm going to read verse nine again so you don't think I'm making stuff up. Paul who loves his church, Paul who's in jail, Paul who's pastoring them. He says, the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So in summary, let me just, before we move on, 
because we're not done yet. If you're visiting here, I, I tend to preach. How's your peace? The Bible says in Colossians 3.15 that the peace of God is to rule your hearts. We studied this a couple of months ago in the book of Colossians. The peace of God. There's nothing better than the peace of God. Can I just, can I encourage you right now? There's nothing better in your life than the peace of God. Nothing. You can have everything this world has to offer you. Everything. And no peace. You can have nothing in this world and be lacking everything. Everything taken from you and it's over and you can have the peace of God. Ask yourself, how, how's my peace? It's going to be directly connected to right praying. God loves to hear your voice. He loves you. He loves to spend time in your presence. He loves you to seek his presence. He loves you to walk in humility with others. It leads to peace. God's created us as reactionary beings. What goes in is gonna produce something. So he asks us, have right thinking, friends. Your mind is corrupt. It's been hijacked. It's broken and tainted. So therefore, you've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. It will determine the level of peace you enjoy and also obedience. Right praying, right thinking, right doing. How's your peace? This isn't going to change for you moving forward. This isn't like a once and done moment here on July 24th or whatever it is and you leave. This is going to be for you walking forward. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't I have peace right now? You ever been driving along? You ever been on a road trip before? This happens to me all the time. You're on a road trip and all of a sudden the check engine light comes on like halfway through. Ah, ah, you know. That's how I react anyways. When the check engine light comes on in your life, something's wrong in your journey. Let's say, let's, let's deal with that. I want that check engine light to be cleared. I want you to walk in. I want you to drive. I want you to be strong. The peace of God. Let it rule your heart. So if your joy has been hijacked, your peace is gone, make sure you're letting these things happen. Make sure you're letting these things and making room for these things. This is not easy, by the way. See, we live in a world that is all messed up. We live in a world that is complex. It's getting worse. Isn't it getting, isn't it getting weirder? How many guys are waiting, not just for fuel prices to drop back down, or at least we can afford fuel and milk, and like, if food's so expensive these, you're waiting for things to write, but not just, how many guys are waiting for things to write economically or politically or, or morally or, or culturally, you're just waiting for things to get better? I kind of am, because I'm like the eternal optimist. I'm like, I can't wait till things get better, <laughs> you know? I don't know how they're going to get better. It's going to get crazier. And so at that point, if you're waiting for peace to be yours based on fuel prices dropping or things getting back to normal or Little House in the Prairie and Ma and Pa Ingalls coming back to the scene, you know, you're waiting for that, it ain't gonna happen. And I don't know exactly what Paul was dealing with in the first century. We just don't know the comparative nature. But it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And here's Paul about to die, head cut off his body, all of his friends and family were having their limbs ripped out of their bodies, being tied to horses, and the horses going in all directions, and being fed to animals, and being killed by gladiators, and being dipped in hot wax and lit on fire, Roman candles. Okay, that's where we get that idea, and this is what Caesar Nero was doing to Christians. I mean, it was a bad time, and Paul says, hey, hey, let's focus on the Lord. Huh? Okay. As a matter of fact, look at the next verse. Paul says this. He says, but... I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. We're going to unpack that verse and look at it. 
But Paul here says, you know what? I just want you guys to know that I'm rejoicing. Paul used this word over and over again. He'd be the first to not rejoice. He's in jail. Things are complex. It's not going well. Notice where he's rejoicing. Look at verse 10. I want you to see this. You need to make this a principle in your life. I rejoiced in the Lord. He tells us in this verse greatly because of the gift that they'd just given to him. And he explains that. We're going to talk about giving and supporting and responsible stewardship of worship in that way over the next couple weeks. But Paul says, number one, I rejoiced in the Lord. And I want you guys to understand, if you can't rejoice in your marriage right now, if you can't rejoice in the economy right now, if you can't rejoice in your health right now, if you can't rejoice in the weather right now, if you can't rejoice, okay, don't rejoice in those things. Rejoice if you can in those things, but always rejoice in the Lord. This is crazy, Because we're Americans, we're all messed up. We've only known plenty, we've only known peace, we've only known good, and I believe it's gotten into our heads, it's messed us up, we don't understand, and so when things don't go our way, we're the first to post about it, we're the first to tweet about it, we're the first to pout about it. And if anybody could tweet, post, or pout, it's Paul. And Paul didn't do it. He said, oh man, I'm so stoked, so pumped. I was pumped before I was pumped, now I'm pump pumped. This isn't going to be easy, as I mentioned. Jesus said in his closing words that in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Don't ever forget that. See, I've I've been saying this for a couple months now. What this world needs is confident Christians. Because nobody's confident right now. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's a pessimist. Everybody's, Everybody's dour and sour. What the world needs now is Christians who are smiling, who are serving, who are giving, who are trusting, who are obeying. That's what it needs. Because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the next government. Our hope is not in the next paycheck. It's not in these things. Our hope is in the Lord. And Paul here, landing the plane, essentially is talking to the church about the way that they are supporting him and he's encouraged by them, not just what they're doing, but the way that they're using their money to support the ministry that Paul was running and the Paul that was living. But he also wants them to know that when they did it, that it's because God did it through them. Let's look at these verses and we'll try and get a little bit more to consider over our lunchtime. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's saying, guys, when Epaphroditus showed up, you sent him 800 miles with some money that you guys brought together, and I just want to say I thank you. Not only do I thank you, I thank the Lord for you. You guys lacked opportunity, which means that they didn't have a way to send money to Paul earlier. Paul was all over the place. It was a very different time, and they didn't know how to locate him. They didn't have push pay. They didn't have online giving. They didn't have recurring giving and all these other things that we have. Now they didn't have opportunity. We don't have that same excuse, do we? To support the ministries that God's called us to support. But Paul says, hey, you guys did care. I like Paul's thoughts towards them. He's like, guys, it's been a while since you gave, and it's not because you didn't care. I know you did care. And if you're a giver here, it's because you care. As a matter of fact, don't give if you don't care. Jesus said it that way. I love a cheerful giver, one who loves to give. If you're giving between the Lord, and by the way, we're gonna talk about giving just a little bit. Giving is part of the DNA of Christians. For God so loved the world that he starts with G, rhymes with Ave. He gave, he's a giver. He gave, he gave us all good things. James tells us that every perfect and lovely gift comes from above, that God gives everything. And so he asks us to give, but he wants us to give with that cheerful heart. This takes some time. 
This takes some effort. It takes some mental understanding of who God is and what God's given to you. But this idea of giving is important because it's how God essentially gives to others. Look what Paul says again. In, in verse 10, he says, I rejoiced for that your care for me has flourished again. Because they gave to Paul, God gave to Paul. And when you choose to let God use you in giving, he's going to use you to give to others. But listen, he's going to use others to give to you. Don't raise your hand too high, but just think this through. How many of you guys came to church this morning with some needs? You had some needs, spiritual, emotional, financial, physical. You need some stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. We all need some stuff. If you woke up completely needless, come talk to me. I'll hire you on my staff. We all need something. And the way that God's going to meet your needs, listen, is through somebody else. And the way that God's going to meet their needs is through you. See, most of us are very selfish. We're aware of our selfish needs. And we know what we need. Everyone else is aware of what they need. Most people come to church, actually, I can't wait to get what I need. And they come to church here as consumers. Ah, feed me, Pastor Luke. This is going to be so good. Lead me into worship, Pastor Ryan. It's going to be so good, you know. Oh, that communion, that's, uh, that's all right, you know. You know. I had communion this last Sunday. It was like the real grape juice that we used to have back before COVID. And I was like, man, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that and away from these. But anyways, we have this mentality that I need to get met. But here's the deal. God has given you something that other people need. Jesus said it this way. It's better to give than it is to receive. And when you realize this principle that you need something, but God's going to use somebody else to do that. But when you realize, you know what? Hey, 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 hey. God, would you use me to meet somebody else's needs today? Would you use me in that way? And when the Christian church has that mentality to be used in that way, God can create and connect and complete the circuit where not only is he using you to give to others, but he's using others to give to you. And it's just an open-handedness. Paul's saying, man, I rejoice in the gift you guys gave. That was so cool. They gave a gift. Paul was giving them a gift. It was going all throughout the cycle and the circuit. And when you understand this, you become a little bit more like God in your giving and in your understanding of giving. Now, let me just break this down a little bit further. We like the Lord to provide for us, don't we? That word provide or provision literally means before seeing. Pro means before and vision is where we get our word video. It means pro, God provides for us. He sees our needs before we see them, before we understand them. He knows what he's doing. And when you need to be provided for, so do the people around you. And he's going to provide for their needs emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially through you if you are willing to be used by him in this way. I'll tell one quick story. One time I was at the Upper Room Coffee House and I was doing my business and I was getting ready to go to Medford to go shopping for the coffee house. And I'd been up since four in the morning making bagels. And I remember I reached in my pocket and I realized I didn't have my wallet with me. I was like, oh, my wallet. So I went home to get my wallet. And as I got to my house at my apartment there, Crystal and I lived at, I saw my neighbor who I'd seen the night before. His name was Ned. And he was locked out of his apartment. I still remember this to this day. And I was out grilling some steaks in my backyard and I saw Ned trying to break into his apartment. I was like, Ned, what are you doing, weirdo? You know? And he said, well, I'm locked out. And I said, well, let me call the landlord for you. So I called the landlord and left a message. And I just assumed Ned would get into his house. Well, the next day when I went home to grab my wallet real quick, I saw Ned still kind of creeping around the neighborhood. And it's like, Ned, did you ever get in your house? He said, no. I slept in my car last night. And he was all kind of broken. I was like, whoa, no way. That's crazy. I said, that's horrible. I said, well, let me help you break into your house. I'm actually kind of good at this for some reason. I don't know why I'm good at breaking into houses, but you know, and, and he said, okay, let's try. So I started trying to break into his house and he went around back and I had this little secret about breaking into my house. Don't tell anybody. But at my house, if you just grabbed the door handle and just like wiggled it really fast like this, you know, it just kind of jiggled it way open, right? 
So Ned went around the back of his house and I began to turn his knob as fast as I could, you know, and guess what? It didn't open. <laughs> and I wanted it to open so bad and the Lord spoke to me in that minute. He said, Luke, you can't open this door. And the Lord says, but I can. He said, try your keys. And so I pulled my keys out of my pocket that I had there. And I, you know how it's when you have a bunch of keys on your... So I tried all my keys until I came to the very last key. Now, let me just talk about this key. This key was on my keychain, and it went to a door at the church that through a remodel did not exist anymore. That door had been taken out, removed, and gone. And yet I still had this key on my keychain. How many of you guys have keys on your keychain you don't use? You know what I'm saying? How many of you guys don't even use a keychain anymore? Like, it's old school. You know? And I had this key. I was like, why is this key? And I put that key in. And it was the perfect match. And it opened the door, and I found myself. And so what I did was I took the keys out, put it in my pocket, and I locked, I shut the door again, and I waited for Ned to come back. <laughs> and Ned comes around, and he's like, ah, oh, oh, you know, you couldn't do it. Couldn't open the door. And I said, Ned, I tried to open your door, and I couldn't do it. And I said, but I prayed about it. And I tried to open it, and the Lord told me I couldn't open the door for you, Ned. But God spoke to me. Ned wasn't a believer, and I really wanted him to be a believer. And I said, and, and God spoke to me and said, but I can open it. And I didn't even show him my keys. I just opened the door, and I opened it right up. <laughs> and Ned falling down, how'd you do that? You know, right? <laughs> Ned, I gotta go. God bless you, and I took off. <laughs> and I remember that story. It's just, and it, we didn't even have to exchange gifts in any way. But let me tell you this. God gave to me in, in such a weird way this key that would open up the door for Ned. He gave to me a gift that would help. It was given to Ned through me. And I've been praying for Ned. Lord, save Ned. He's just a single older man who doesn't know you. He's got a messed up life. And Lord, would you save him? And God had given to me that which was going to open up the door to his believing and seeing that God is good. God's going to bless you. Paul's saying, thank you guys for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for sending the church at Philippi to entrust this gift to me. And I tell you what, God has given you things that are going to open up doors for other people's lives. This is what life is all about. You might not have an abundance. You might have a lot of stuff. You might even have some stuff in your life. Why is this even in my life? Why is this still hanging around my keychain? What is this about? And if you simply just let the Lord use you, he's going to bless others through you. All of us want to get blessed by somebody else, don't we? All of us do. Let's not look for the blessing. Let's try and be the blessing. Let's let the Lord use us to bless others. Even as you go into the store, as you go, as you look around, who's begging for money on the side of the road, and man, those guys should be working. Hey, go over there and pray for those who have less than you. Give to them. Give to others. Ask the Lord to use you. We're going to talk about this next week. I want to read one more verse, verse 11, just so you guys see this. He said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. We're going to talk about this next week. God wants us to be content. He wants us to learn it, no matter what. Can you chew on this as you leave right now? Most of us in here, because we're Americans and also because we're sinners, I don't know which came first, we're easily discontented. Ah, oh, it's too hot. Ah, oh, it's too cold. Ah, oh, it's just right, you know. Paul says, I've learned to be content. I believe that there is a principle of contentedness that, un listen, until you learn to be content with where you're at, God won't move you to where you want to be. Oftentimes we say, as soon as I get that, I'll be content. And as soon as I move, as soon as I get the house, 
as soon as I get the new lawn, as soon as I get the new car, as soon as I get married, as soon as I'm not married, that's a joke, as soon as I have kids, whatever, can I just say, learn to be content. And here's why. Because it's not your circumstances. It's not what you get that leads to contentedness. It's where your mind is set. Paul goes on in verse 13, he says, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of the most powerful verses. You can be content right now. The enemy wants to steal your joy. The enemy wants to steal your purpose. The enemy wants to ruin your life. The enemy wants to take everything that God has given to you and intended you to live on his behalf and for the glory of God and the good of others and what he has given to you and he wants you to not see it as he has given it to you and he wants you to be the most unhappy person you could possibly be where the Lord has given to you everything you need for life and for godliness. Our, our world is so discontent. And as, by the way, as your challenges increase... Did you know so does your light? When your darkness crushes in on you and you go through bankruptcy or your health fails or or situations don't go your way and you choose contentedness and confidence in Christ, you're like a lighthouse. God's glory shining through you to others. They need desperately to see men and women who are content and you need to be content. Because the enemy's going to prey on your sinful ways. Paul says, thanks for the gift, guys. It's amazing. I'm so, I'm so excited. I didn't need anything, by the way. I've learned to be content. Let's pray before the 11 a.m. service is discontent at you guys. Lord, in Jesus' name, we love you so much and we need you. I pray, God, that your word would indeed have its way and that you would train us up in the way we should go. We're just like kids. We need to be reminded daily. Lord, I pray also that you would forgive me and forgive us, Lord, of those areas that we know that we're just not doing it or haven't been perfect, where we've become worldly or rebellious. We just didn't do the things we've been asked to do. And would you, Lord, just give us that sweet grace even right now to be so content, to be so blessed, to be givers, to let you use us, Lord, with our words, with our actions, with our time, talent, and treasure, whatever you've given to us. Lord, I pray that we'd be a blessing to those around us. I pray you'd help us, Lord, with right thinking and right praying and right doing. We need your grace and mercy. Thank you for all you've done, Lord. I thank you for what's gonna happen later, Lord, this month too with the garage sale and the school and all these needs that we have. We trust you. You've been so generous to this church, Lord. Continue to be generous as we trust you, Lord, with our tithes and with our offerings, with all the stuff we give back to you, Lord. It's yours first. Thank you, Lord, for using us to bless others even now as we go our way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Hey, grab one of those tickets before you leave on the door out there and help us to fulfill those needs for the school moving forward. Begin to go through your garage also. Find some stuff. Maybe you got one of those old antique cars, you know, that you're not using anymore and donate that to the school or something like that. Other than that, I love you guys. God bless you. Sign up for our back to school bash or our outdoor services. There's gonna be food provided. We need cooks and people who are gonna run the grills. I love you guys. Go out into the world and let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.